You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Morning. Welcome to this week's edition of Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio for Monday the 28th of March 2022. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which we transmit people-powered radio. Thank you to Democracy Now! for the last hour of current affairs. My name's Chris and Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio will weekly program on 3CR Community Radio, broadcasting from Melbourne, Australia, and we're about bicycles, cycling, micro-mobility, advocacy, bicycle stories, and all parts in between. On today's show, I'm catching up with Councillor Jonathan Shree. He's the councillor for the Gabba Ward in Brisbane. We've spoken a couple of times on the show over the years. We're going to have a chat about floods, resilience, climate change, the switch to e-bikes and uh, it's a hell of a topic and we'll probably barely scratch the surface but uh, thanks to Jonathan for making time for a chat. In local news, well on my last show you probably realised I had a chat about moving forward Yarra Council Draft Transport Strategy and it's open to feedback until the 11th of April 2022 and it's got a lot of stuff packed into that 51 pages. You may think that this is just the strategy, yes it is. When this is adopted then we'll start to see if the council has the resolve to actually push this into action and therefore into budget consideration. That's the stuff that really interests most of us, doesn't it? If they actually will act upon it. As we said in the last uh, program that you know how the transport strategy aligns with best practice it's got that community engagement survey it's pretty brief to do but i would highly recommend that you download the strategy and have a read of it i know that sounds a bit onerous but there's some good stuff in there like there's 15 policies to be adopted basically active transport as a means of moving around the city which it has been in the inner suburbs for decades. We're actually reinforcing what's always been there and bringing in best practice. In uh, other news, Moreland Council, I think Faith may have mentioned this on previous shows, they've got a 10-year capital works program for walking and cycling and consultation for that closes on the 12th of April 2022 and that's at conversations.moreland.vic.gov.au slash the programs and it's helped us shape our plan to improve the network and get more people walking and riding bikes in Moreland and as I mentioned prior to that Yarra's draft transport strategy is at your say Yarra all one word dot com dot au forward slash moving forward and I will put these into the podcast description if you listen to this and you're looking at the 3CR website or the Yarrabug website or wherever you get your podcast from the podcast description should have all these links in it there's two surveys out at the moment they're both from Monash University the first one is understand the experience of cyclists from Dr Amanda Stevens from the Accident Research Centre and complete the survey and if you, if you see fit if you uh, f- want to follow the details you can enter a draw to win one of five 
$100 Coles Meyer gift vouchers. I'll put the link into the podcast description for that. And there's another one, Cycled Study, Citywide Bicycle Exposure Modelling Study. This one has even more prizes if you could choose to complete it. You can read through the details. The project is led by the Sustainable Mobility and Safety Research Group at Monash University. And again, I'll put the link into that. There was monash.edu forward slash medicine forward slash cycled study. Infrastructure Victoria have come out with an article which says why the city needs safe and more reliable alternatives to car usage. And the uh, article is blaming bike lanes for traffic jams is flawed logic and ignores the lessons of induced demand. We can't build our way out of congestion. Numerous traffic studies show that more road space for cars leads to more people driving, further clogging our roads, the induced demand effect. Uh, If you live in a large city, if you want that throughput, is public transport and active transport. Back to the Infrastructure Victoria article. If you go to infrastructurevictoria, that's all one word, .com.au, and look for why the city needs safe and more reliable alternatives to car usage. Up next, I'll be talking to Councillor Jonathan Shree from Brisbane. Hello, I'm Ayan Shirwa, the host of 3CR's Diaspora Blues program. If you're a long-time 3CR listener, what is up? And if you're a new listener, welcome. 3CR is home to 400 volunteers and over 126 programs. Every year, we bring you stories that concern all of us. The workers, the unemployed, folks from all walks of life. And unlike the corporate shills, our funding comes directly from the community. In return, we shine the spotlight on stories about the climate crisis, Indigenous communities' fight for sovereignty, Palestinian perspectives, and any of the music or art programs 3CR champions. To help your favourite grassroots media stay on air, go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419-8377. Jonathan Sree, I'm one of 26 city councillors on Brisbane City Council and the only Greens representative in Brisbane. Yeah, we've uh, chatted it a couple of times over the years. A couple of weeks ago, southeast Queensland, northern New South Wales got absolutely pummeled by floods. And yeah, you'd probably have a lot to say about that, given that you're in the Gabba Ward. It's been pretty awful, to be honest. Um, parts of my electorate are quite low-lying along the river, and so they're pretty vulnerable to flooding. To be honest, I don't think we were hit quite as bad as some parts of northern New South Wales or even some of the regional areas of Queensland. But the sheer scale of development and infrastructure that's down in the floodplain in the inner city means that the impacts are still quite dramatic. The water, the flood level only peaked at 3.85 metres, which wasn't quite as high as the 2011 floods. But some of the creeks actually flooded a lot worse than they did in 2011. So there were some pretty significant impacts. 
not just around the city, the river itself, but also in some of those creek catchments. Um, for, for my area around places like West End, all, all the riverside bikeways went under water completely, and some areas such as the Kangaroo Point Riverwalk probably had a solid 50 centimetres of really thick, silty river mud. That's taken a lot of work to get clear. Yeah, and that's the thing about variable weather conditions, you know, the, the era in which we're living in. Infrastructure's going to get hit. People's lives are going to get hit. The ability to come back from it gets diminished. Yeah, yeah that's it. And, and so we really need to start designing with climate change in mind. And one of the obvious problems with a lot of bikeway planning in Brisbane is that historically the council and the state government have tended to route bikeways along creek corridors because that's where, you know, the land was cheap or it was easier and they didn't have to worry about conflicts with cars and that sort of stuff. What they probably should have been doing in many cases was creating safe, separated bike lanes along some of the main roads to connect local shops and schools and those sorts of destinations. But instead, they diverted all the bikeways along creek corridors and now we've got this problem where all the bikeways were flooded. So some of the major bikeways like the Kedron Brook bikeway were completely washed out and it'll be months before they're properly reopened. So even at that basic level, I think it highlights that if we're considering bikeways, not just for recreation, but as commuter corridors, we need to be designing them so that they're just as resilient to flooding as, as our road corridors are. And, and we also need to think about the important role that cycling plays in, in these kinds of moments because even when some of those roads were cut, people were still able to get around on bike and, and that's quite important to sort of support and be mindful of. We had the ferries along Brisbane are still out and we had the buses down for over a week in some areas and, and so with some other forms of public transport knocked out, bikes and, and scooters became even more important than usual. Resilience comes up, but it's that thing of we've got to, well, should have been looking at ways and how we move around our cities, because we are predominantly urban-based in Australia, of these weather events mm, are going and, to be... And all the other... The variability and, yeah, of it. And, and, and all the other geopolitical factors that link into this stuff, right? Like we're, we're now seeing rise in oil prices, which means driving is going to be less affordable for a lot of people. And so there will be more people who are like, well, maybe I should start riding for transport. But the infrastructure needs to be there so that they can do that safely. And unfortunately, a lot of people are still kind of trapped in their car because it's just not safe for them to ride in the neighbourhood that they live or in the destinations they're trying to get to. Supporting people to, to shift to riding bikes is obviously a really important piece of climate action. We want to reduce fossil fuel emissions and get people into more sustainable modes of travel. But it's also a really important form of adaptation and resilience because it's it's such a cheap form of transport. And generally speaking, it's also easier to maintain and repair bikes locally. We're now seeing a lot of stories of how hard it is to get replacement car parts from overseas and international supply chain disruptions are yeah, making it a bit more costly and, and a bit slower to get repairs to motor vehicles, whereas bikes, they're often fairly simple and easy to repair locally. But maybe there's a bit of an exception now with electric bikes and e-scooters. And so we also need to think about how 
if those electric bikes are going to become a bigger part of the transport puzzle, are we developing the skills and capacity to manufacture and repair those locally, or are we still really dependent on parts being sent overseas and replacement batteries and stuff having to travel from other parts of the globe? We, we probably should be thinking about how we can localise and, and decentralise more of that. CoHealth is a not-for-profit community health organisation providing health and support services in Melbourne. In late 2021, CoHealth facilitated a workshop for women from diverse cultural backgrounds on effective communication skills for social and professional settings. Positive outcomes for workshop participants were collaborative discussions in safe spaces and onward access to support services. To learn more about our services and programs, visit cohealth.org.au. CoHealth is a 3CR supporter. Just this week, uh, there was an announcement or announcement from Queensland government about EVs, and I was like, "That's good, but if you've got to have the readies to do it." Yeah, I mean, that, electric cars are pretty expensive, and and I don't really think that's a complete solution to the, the transport issues we're facing. Electric cars still take up a lot of space on the road; they still have similar problems with traffic congestion. They are also still really resource intensive. They're not a sustainable mode of transport. Electric cars are, are more sustainable and they emit less carbon emissions than traditional combustion engine cars, but they're still requiring a huge volume of rare earth metals and non-renewable materials. So I'm a bit cynical of people who are like, we just need to get everyone driving electric cars. It's like, no, we need to get people walking, riding and using public transport. That, that's the sustainable future we should be fighting for. Yeah, because... electric cars will be a piece of the puzzle but they're not the main game because like e-scooters and e-bikes also use rare earths and i'm not going to like you know diminish that but it's a better use of a rare resource and uh also getting into that sort of thing of like you know what's used in the batteries we've got to have a good hard think about where that is sourced from because you know yeah we be aware of you know it comes from uh places in the world where labor and uh money is basically being extracted out of really vulnerable communities, you know, Congo, and yeah, people. People got to think yeah. about this stuff. That's it, and I and I think there's a sort of we're so keen to shift away from dependency on on coal and and fossil fuels that sometimes we lose sight of the the mining impacts of other metals and other resources because, as you say, those rare earth minerals, the, the extraction of those can have a huge impact on the environment and on vulnerable communities and, and are often kind of a key ingredient in regional conflicts. Let's not pretend that just because something doesn't burn fossil fuels means it, it has no negative environmental impacts. We still need to think about minimising the extraction of non-renewable resources and, and ensuring that supply chains are ethical and aren't exploiting workers. And I think another piece of the puzzle there is ensuring that stuff can be easily repaired and that you know, as much as possible, we're not buying disposable parts and, and things that 
have to be replaced every couple of years. We There's a big difference between an electric bike where things are designed to last and can, can easily be repaired locally as opposed to an electric bike where the parts are pretty shoddy and it's only going to last a few years and then you're going to have to buy another one. That still has a big environmental footprint. Yeah, I've been looking at some of the lower end things of those, of, of the e-bikes, and it's, yeah, we've got to be careful of Global North kind of exporting its problems elsewhere, and I put Australia in this equation. Mm. Sometimes we're just more than a bit ignorant when it comes to, you know, of, of you know, our choices and the implications ahead for where that, that resource actually came from. That's another huge thing we could discuss, but back to Brisbane, you've given a, a bit of pricey of what's going on with the bicycle infrastructure up there, because we've got a similar thing here with in Sydney and every other place I can think of where they build it along contour lines near the creeks. Are people kind of getting back to their lives, or is it there's like a body blow like you've seen in Lismore? Yeah, I, I mean, floods are a really weird kind of event because often the impacts are quite uneven. So as you'd imagine, there are people in low-lying parts of Brisbane and flood-prone neighbourhoods whose lives have been completely destroyed and upended. Like they've, maybe they've been made homeless or they've lost all their possessions. And this is kind of a really pivotal moment in their life that their life's going to change for months and perhaps years to come. But then for a lot of the city, a lot of people are just kind of getting back to normal and maybe... The biggest disruption is that the ferry is not running for a while or that maybe one low-lying pathway along a creek that they used to walk along is, is closed for a few months. And so it's kind of strange how some people, their lives have been absolutely ruined and a lot of people were barely affected. So it's probably not the kind of wholesale disruption that we saw in places like Lismore and, and in a sense a lot of Brisbane's main kind of infrastructure and services were relatively unaffected. So... The city, I think, has kind of coped reasonably well this time, but overwhelmingly it was the, the poorest residents who were most seriously affected. I think in my neighbourhood, about 40 people that we know of have been basically displaced or made homeless by the floods. They won't be able to return home within a, a couple of months, so a lot of people will have to move out for a few weeks while things are cleaned out, but uh, I'm aware of about 40 people in my electorate who've just permanently lost their home and all of those were renters and almost all of them were on a fairly low income so i think that tells us something as well about the kind of socioeconomic disparities of of disaster impacts Mohammed El Halabi has been held in an Israeli prison for almost six years, with still no verdict on the charges of diverting millions of dollars of World Vision and Australian aid money to terrorism, despite both the Australian government and World Vision finding no evidence of misused funds. For Palestinians, the Israeli justice system means closed courts, secret evidence, torture, and long delays. Join Amnesty, the Australian-Palestine Advocacy Network, and Free Palestine Melbourne in a vigil to mark Muhammad's birthday and call for his release. The vigil will be held at 2 p.m. on Saturday, the 2nd of April at Federation Square. Stand up for justice for Muhammad El-Halabi and for Palestine. Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter.
Yeah, in terms of cycling, it's, it's been interesting to see how quickly the council was able to clear a lot of the roads of mud, and that was sort of a really high priority was to get the transport network reopened and obviously they want to get their garbage trucks and their maintenance vehicles in, so they worked really hard to clear the roads. But it took them probably another week, week and a half to get the major bikeways cleared of mud and opened, and I think that sort of reflected a difference in priorities where cycling is gradually being recognised as a legitimate mode of transport, but it's still not seen as anywhere near as important as car travel. And so you can really, at times like this, tell the true priorities of a council administration by what they focus on cleaning up and restoring first. And they were definitely prioritising the car corridors and, and the cycling routes were, I guess, kind of an afterthought. To be fair, they are getting to most of the, the big ones now and uh, a lot of the major bikeways in the, in the south side are open again. Even the fact that with river mud, the, the best time to clean it up is kind of straight straight away, straight after the flood before it dries and hardens. And they did that on the roads. They were like, we've got to hose this, down, hose this off while it's wet. Whereas with the bikeways, they, they didn't bother to get in there in a hurry and they let the mud dry out and, and get all hard and brittle. And then it took them a lot more work to eventually get around to cleaning them off. And of course, people will have seen that the major bikeway along the north bank of the river, which runs alongside Coronation Drive, had a floating restaurant fall on top of it. And so it's been blocked. And as a result, cyclists there are having to ride along the Coronation Drive roadway, sharing the car lanes on a very busy major road corridor, which isn't at all safe. And unfortunately, the the LNP Council administration has basically said, yeah, look, we're not going to put in separated temporary bike lanes. You'll just have to ride on the road until the bikeway is fixed, which, yeah, again, not really a very good look from the Liberal Party. I think they could have perhaps thought a little bit more about that and, and maybe planned ahead for the fact that, because they knew that bikeway was going to flood. So you would think they'd have alternative arrangements in place until the bikeway can be reopened. They could leave them liable if... Uh, that's just just bloody appalling because I remember seeing that um, like a lot of other people remember seeing that um, floating restaurant getting crunched up in two thousand eleven, and one it was still mm. it was still down there, was it? <laughs> yeah, it's oh, quite, I think embarrassing for both, both. It's embarrassing for both the council and the state government. Like I think really it was the state government's responsibility to get that sorted out because it was a state government lease. But both levels of government basically just let the flood damaged restaurant sit there for 10 years and there was a lot of back and forth with the owner of Willie or won't he restore it and clean it up and then now another flood's come and it's actually lifted the restaurant right off its its jetty and yeah now it's a big hazard that's had to I think they're getting onto that at the moment but it's uh yeah it's a shame that there wasn't more proactive planning around this stuff like that that is really by far one of the biggest bikeways in terms of volume in Brisbane it carries thousands of riders a day and it's right next to the river so it floods even sometimes on a high when there's a high king tide accompanied by heavy rain so it's a very flood vulnerable transport corridor and mm. i think the council will have to start looking at whether they can put more bike lanes on some of the alternative routes in future because as sea levels rise that bikeway is going to get flooded more and more often yeah, we're similar. Not not a not a floating restaurant. Burnley mm. Wharf in Melbourne got silted up, and it's a floating walkway over the top. So it ended up sitting at a really rakish angle, and it took mm. a while for Parks Victoria to get down there and dredge it, and the thing was closed. So yeah, these things, yeah, these aspects of you know 
uh, secondary um, infrastructure have got to be of a higher priority because, again, Burnley um, connects to Gardner's Creek. And, again, like what you're just saying, it's really, really probably the biggest bikeway into Melbourne that's off-road. So it's a message to state and local governments to really look at this stuff in a higher priority. And, yeah, the bit that I like to end up with today is we've got higher petrol prices. They impact everybody, and it goes right across the board. It's your standard of living, what you can afford. People on lower incomes get slugged, students. And this is the stuff that of great interest, how transport costs in a bizarre way shooted back to the individual instead of governments doing what they should be doing is providing services but anyway we live in such a reactionary uh, state here in australia uh no one's thinking straight about these things yeah it's a shame there's i mean there's so much potential it, it wouldn't be that hard to dramatically transform the way we think about transport and, and shift to a more sustainable and an equitable and accessible way of moving people around our cities and towns. It's not as hard as some people think it is, but we've just got to make those sometimes challenging decisions to deprioritize cars. If you're trying to build a new bikeway or bike lanes without taking space away from cars, that can be really, really expensive and difficult because you have a constrained urban environment. But if you're willing to take away some street parking or some lanes of car traffic, Suddenly, it's a lot cheaper and quicker and easier to roll out that infrastructure. And if political leaders are willing to do that, then it's actually quite possible to dramatically improve a cycling network in the space of a few years. So hopefully, we'll see a bit more of that looking ahead and, and maybe the rise in oil prices will help create the political pressure for improvements to public transport, affordability and reliability as well. Yeah, shout out to everyone down south. Hope people are doing well. Thanks to Jonathan for that catch-up. I just got a uh, update on Coronation Drive, and we had a bit of a discussion of that. And I was looking at uh, space for cycling in Brisbane, and uh, they've posted an update that uh, Brisbane City Council has decided to install a temporary two-way cycleway on Coronation Drive, while the uh, bikeway is impassable because, you know, that great big uh, barge thing sitting on top of it, which is very impassable. So uh, according to this update, Councillor Ryan Murphy phoned Brisbane West Bug, who have been campaigning strongly for this outcome this afternoon, to relay that the good news and temper- and announced it the, uh, this afternoon, which is a couple, about a couple of days back now, that a new temporary two-way temporary cycleway will be installed on the riverside lane of Coronation Drive between Graham Street and Lang Parade and will be open this Monday. The right turn into Lang Parade will be closed in order to maintain five general traffic lanes, three inbound, two outbound and traffic along this section will be slow to 40 kilometres and Waterfield safety barriers put in place to separate vehicles and traffic and uh, the decision was made after the state government advised it would take upwards of six weeks to remove the barge from the bikeway and the current situation with cyclists sharing the narrow footpath was untenable for that period of time. And uh, in closing, Space for Cycling Brisbane have said, we think this is a common sense approach and think that will provide a much better outcome for all road users. Yep, society did not implode because... Temporary bikeway was installed. 
enable change, we need to show broad community support. Show your support for walking and cycling in the city of Yarra by appearing as a champion on the Streets Alive website, representing your local street, neighbourhood or school. It's fast, free and simple. Learn more at streets-alive-yarra.org. A 3CR supporter. This week's Yarra Bicycle User Group radio program should be podcast soon on 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast or go to yarrabug.org forward slash radio if you want to find additional details of what we discussed today. These podcasts are produced at Melbourne's activist radio station 3CR. Presenters are all volunteers and 3CR's existence depends upon the financial support of our listeners. Go to 3cr.org.au Click on the support tab and select either donate, subscribe, shop or fundraisers. Your subscription or donation keeps 3CR on air. CR would like to thank our Yarrabug program sponsor, Vacro's Second Chance Cycles, for their financial support. Second Chance Cycles is a fantastic community workshop that recycles bikes, trains people in bike mechanics and sells bikes to the local community. If you have a healthcare card, they'll give you a bike free of charge. To find out more, search for Vacro online or drop into the underground car park, Harmsworth Street, Collingwood, any Thursday or Friday. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.